What's up, what's up everyone? Welcome to another week of the GoLink Show. My name is Ben, the host and founder of GoLink. GoLink is a supportive community of growth junkies and life learners embracing weekly challenges. Each week we find a new way to level up and learn something new. So it could be a cold shower, waking up at 5 a.m., a kind act, taking yourself on a date, journaling, meditating, various fitness activities, and much more. These challenges are inspired by mission-driven brands that align with our values. So if you're crazy like me and you love to level up and you're always looking for ways to evolve and grow and step into your fullest potential, then GoLink is just for you. Join us every week on social media to participate in these weekly challenges. Embrace the challenge with me at GoLink Group. The GoLink Show, this podcast, recounts experiences from life enthusiasts with a unique perspective. So they could be a mother, a teacher, business owner, coach, entrepreneur, somebody with many years of experience, or someone just stepping into their arena. Wherever they are in life's journey, we all have a story to tell. So we delve into the struggles that we come across during our journey. How do we find the will to make it through? What role does failure play in our lives? What tools and lessons have we learned from those difficult experiences? Let's talk about the process and not just the result. We discuss this and much more on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another wonderful week of the GoLink Show. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening. You're dope. I love you. This week, my friend Claire Spencer's on the show, and this is an awesome conversation. This is a conversation that you would just love to be a part of listening into, being in the room, because there's no one topic. It's wide ranging, but I would say that we really talk about doing work, right? Like talking about the uncomfortableness of doing the work, diving into like improving yourself, the growth, the healing, what we've learned from that and what we are still working on and what we'll keep working on. Like for example, the challenge of being direct and vulnerable with our family and others, why triggers and trauma are a blessing, why we create problems or anxiety because we're addicted to the feeling, like codependent relationships, how challenges are are an opportunity for creative expression and doing the work is painful like personal growth is painful and it sucks sometimes but it can it's funny how we can actually make our life harder but why we think it's necessary why we think it's necessary to delve in and do that for the growth and healing so here's my wonderful conversation with my friend claire stay tuned so you can hear about our challenge this week enjoy Everyone, welcome to The Goaling Show. My name is Ben. I have my new friend, Claire, here. How are you, my friend? <laughs> are you doing well? I'm a six out of ten now. Six out of ten, in which we just talked about that, and you're smiling, which is awesome. We were doing this over Zoom. Uh, I'm in South Carolina. You're in Arizona. And we got introduced by our, a mutual friend, Adrienne Ellison. So shout out to her. And we, <clears throat> we, I think initially when we talked, it was supposed to be, you know, for 15, 20 minutes. I think we talked for an hour. And so that's always a good sign. I was like, okay, we need to, you know, come back and do a recorded conversation and have, you know, put out into the world. And why you kind of giggled when you said that you're a six out of 10 is because when we hopped on the phone before we were recording, I said, how are you? And you're like, I'm a five. And I was like, are you a five out of 10 or a five out of five? <laughs> And what what was your response? I said I'm a five out of five, uh, ten. <laughs> but I'm a five. I'm a five out of ten. Um, and it's not like it's not a bad thing. But I'm going through personal growth, and then I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I went like this. 
Eh. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you said, because you were admitting that and getting out of your own head, you went up one point <laughs> to a six. Yeah, well, you said, I hopefully by the end of the conversation, you'll be a six. And I said, this is, this is the part going to include was that being honest with a person outside of myself actually brought me up. Um, and I am working, this is part of my work right now, but I, mm-hmm. I think that um, that practice of being true to yourself and living in the world, not just your own bubble, but like relating to other people, when you have these moments of integrity where instead of you just, like I could have brushed it off and said, oh, I'm great. Yes. But I had a moment of integrity where I said, you know, this is kind of, not the worst, but it feels not great. So I'm not going to try to be smooth and impress the stranger. <laughs> just going to say, oh, it's a five out of 10. It's not great. It's not terrible. Yeah. It's not great. And um, <laughs> that feels good, though. It's, yeah. it's like keeping promises to yourself. It feels good. Ooh. I like that. Okay. So, yeah, we're almost strangers. We've had one, you know, meaningful conversation. But if someone asked you in a store, would you give that sa- same thing? Or do you feel like, like it's because you're safer, like having a, a combo with me? I think it's actually, for me, it's safer to be more honest with um, strangers. Ooh, because, just... like, I, I tend to err on the side of, of um, trying not to make waves and managing people's emotions by being invisible, right? If I don't exist, then whatever you're feeling can't be because of me. It's like, this is like the work that I'm doing right now. So it's extreme mm. examples. But um, so if it's a stranger, I don't have any vested interest. But if it's my friend who maybe will go, oh, or my mom who will call me like later that night because she loves me, mm-hmm. like, I don't want any of that. I just want to say I'm a five out of 10, meh. If that makes sense, like it feels like, yeah. it feels like all of a sudden I've disrupted other people. So it's, um, you know, that's what people do, but that's harder for me. Yeah. So, cause I am, so the work that you're doing right now, like I look at myself and I, I have been more honest this year about like how I'm feeling, but typically, you know, like it's just, I think what most people do is just like, Oh, I'm fine. Or I'm doing well. Thanks. You know, there's no, um, I don't know if extreme is the right word, but either end of I'm doing amazing. And here's why, or I'm incredible. Here's why, or I'm a five out of 10. No reason. Like I'm fine. I'll be okay. I'm just being real. So what, clarity or what are you learning through this process of keeping that promise and being open and honest with yourself? I think that this, this reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, like the challenge in loving relationships of being of true honesty, mm-hmm. where I think for me, it's more important or more impactful and, or like a, a bigger challenge for me to be honest in friendships and in love relationships. Um, I don't worry so much about meeting a stranger at the coffee shop and saying like, yeah, I'm good. Nice to see you because that's, there's no impact, but it's really hard to like look your lover in the eyes and be like, Hey, you know what? You really deeply hurt my feelings. Yeah. And this sucks. 
Why? Because it's, um, I think, you know, this group that Adrian and I are in, I think it's when you tell your truth, you have to be willing to risk the relationship. And the idea is that a relationship that with, can't, with, with that can't withstand the truth isn't where you want to be. Mm, but that's like that. not like human nature. We, we want to stay connected. Um, and I think culturally it's not seen in per se as a good thing, at least in a culture that I used to be in, which is that you're rude, like being wrecked, being direct about your needs is rude. Um, why? We, See, we, this we, is cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just going to, yeah, I'm, no, I'm kind of interrupting. It's wild. But it's wild. I like it. Why? Cause I'm the same way. And this is work that I'm doing that I think about is because I am uh, an avid people pleaser and not just like, I want to please you, but I want to make you feel good. Like that's <clears throat> like, that's my thing is, excuse me god i know this one hold on i just want to make people feel good and sometimes not making them if i'm direct i know i won't make them feel good so is that part of why it's seen as inconvenient or not good to be direct or what are your thoughts on that like why can't we be why is it seen as a bad thing in quotations mark to be direct i think there's two parts um, I also like to pay, like not just make, like I take responsibilities for the emotional tone in a room unconsciously often, which is absolutely not my responsibility, but it's my pattern that I do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that culturally the idea, someone once told me that manners is the ability to make people feel comfortable. So like using the wrong fork, it's not about the fork. It's about a signal that you know what you're doing and you're in the right place. And if you use the wrong, like let's say you use a shrimp fork for the salad, <laughs> like, who cares about the fork? It's that everybody around you goes, they're not supposed to be here. They're not like me. I feel uncomfortable because now I feel uncomfortable for them. That's what manners are about. Mm -hmm. And um, I think to a degree, okay, now this is going to be a big long tangent. Go for it. We it's used wild. to depend a lot more on our very close physical proximity social circle for survival. So manners were very important because you had to preserve the relationship of yourself with the people around you at all costs if you want to live. You can't piss off your neighbors because who's yeah. going to like hitch up their, their horse to the cart and take you to the doctor if you're dying. Now That's we true. have this sort of epidemic of loneliness and isolation. The flip side of that is it's really incredible to be able to connect with people who make you feel less alone in the universe um, and who really you're able to see your own truth within them and transitioning from having to please your physically close cohort into um, like the, the idea that the best thing you can do for the world is to be your best self. Like going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs that we talked to in the beginning, like our parents were kind of in that transi transition of um, 
they had to really have manners and worry about their neighbors. I don't know many people who even know their neighbors anymore. It's kind of crazy. A lot of people. Yeah, I know a lot of people that know tons of people all over the world from Instagram mm. and who have like an app to see their doctor. So in terms of the hierarchy of needs, we're transitioning because we know like we're bumping up on the triangle, which makes, if I'm, if I'm being clear here, where like those foundational needs are met. And now if we want to be happier, period, and kind of find our purpose, we have to change the way that we interact with people. So being direct in the past was a threat to your survival, whereas now we have to transition where being direct is the key to your survival. But the transition mm. is always tricky, like being truthful to yourself and uncover. I know so many people that are going through this same, I don't know if you, awakening seems like such a um, dramatic word, but saying like, no, you know what? I have the resources and the safety and the community dialed in so now the best thing i can do is listen to myself and what can i offer yeah that's so cool and that totally makes sense that in the past we just had to be that way for survival and to like get along or even back in the day like you could get um you know sentenced you know, like if you were so crazy, you know, you'd be like sentenced to like death if you went yes. against, like if you were too direct or honest, you know? Yeah. Like, and obviously. It's too disruptive to that social paradigm of that mm -hmm. particular era. Yeah. And so I like, like not thinking of like, okay, it's not necessarily bad, but we're just going through a change. And that's why I'm so grateful for the time that we live in. Do you feel like this is the best time to be alive uh, thus far? 100%. Into the and when I, you know, it's funny too, is I'm definitely an optimist and I, I feel like I know a large number of people that are really addicted to anxiety mm. and those anxiety drugs. And they're like, Oh, not the end of the world. And I'm like, it, it's like that Lily CK kit. Like anybody besides a white dude, does not want to go back in time. And even like half the white dudes don't. But like, if you think it's getting worse, just ask yourself, would you rather be born like 50, 100, 200, 1,000 years ago? No, it's slow, but it's definitely getting better. Not even 100 years ago. Yeah, like 40 would suck. I'm 40 yeah. years old, but being yeah. like 40 and 79 would have been such a different experience. Isn't that crazy how much life has changed? Dude, it's almost... You know, it'll be 2020 soon. 1920? Shit, like that. <laughs> what? Like, life was so different. Yeah, I think, my, I remember, so my grandma had a PhD. She was a, she was a psychologist. And she was accepted into schools. I don't remember how she made it work, but they were like, you know, you're a great candidate, but you're a woman, so you will never come here. And they're probably just honest about it, right? Yeah, they didn't even, they were like, oh, we don't feel bad. They were like, yeah, we just don't do, like, you want, what? What? You want a doctorate? So, like, wow. what? No, that's ridiculous. Ha. Huh. Yeah, that's crazy. So I'm glad that you say that because I believe the same thing. Like, of course, there's always going to be things to improve. That's just how life is. However, in, if you view it in, in context, it's def I definitely would rather live right now. 
Well, yeah, and I think that the thing too that we forget um, when we get really anxious about like new new things or transitions um, is that like it can be oh for example the internet or Instagram even can be really feel overwhelming and scary and if you're not using it correctly which it takes a while to figure out how to use it you can have a terrible experience and that maybe all of those things that are triggering you are a gift this is what I'm doing right now the triggers are a gift so that you have the ability to see where you still have wounds that you need to heal oh. it can be an incredible thing right if you're showing up in if you're showing up in the primary way that you connect with people and it quote unquote makes you feel bad that's all like an internal reflection of your own insecurities and you can either sit there and die in a hole, which is tempting. That would be like a number two day. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, you can talk to a semi-stranger friend, mm -hmm. get a little bit more um, power from being true to yourself and say, I have a real opportunity here to grow and to level up. And I know that I have that opportunity because I feel like are terrible. These terrible feelings are really great. It's like... Um, there's another saying where they say it's a like tragedy and chaos and disruption are all opportunities to do really amazing things because oh. it shakes up the status quo, right? Like nothing yeah. will mess up your patterns like a divorce or yeah. um, losing your job. So in the moment, it's really tricky, but, but with practice, you can say this is the best thing because I'm, I'm now kind of shaken clear of the things that I thought I want and I can really evaluate it. And what is this showing me about, um, you know, what beliefs I have about the way the world is and does it work for me? I really like that. So you raised your hand, you know, um, and I was going to ask, so the tragedy or chaos is something, it's a chance to do something amazing. Is that what it says? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think without getting too deep into economics, um, a lot of terrible crap went down in the depression in like 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. But we had to take a really hard look at the way that we were using money, who was benefiting from lending, like, um, what type of information was available to investors? Was it really a great idea to loan people who were not qualified all of this money? It's like that in a really simplistic way for anybody who likes to naysay or pick apart arguments. It seemed so lovely to allow people this opportunity to owe them a home with low interest rates. Yeah. But what happened is lots of people became overextended with playing with risky real estate because there's all this money in the economy, real estate prices exploded and it was built on a foundation of, it's like it, it, it was built on a very unstable foundation. I think, so it, it almost it was like a house of cards with good intentions, but the actual incentives were to over borrow because money was not, it was, um, mispriced lending was mispriced 
So people overborrowed and it actually made the whole market market more expensive, which made it less affordable for the people that the whole thing was trying to help. Yeah. And if you have questions about that, watch the big short. Yeah. So then <laughs> I did watch the big short. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, but from that disastrous experience where so many people lost their jobs and lost their houses, I think as a culture, we learned some really important things that even today are being parsed out. For example, it made way for a lot of creative people and a lot of kids now in college, I think, to look at what we thought were safe investments, um, like college or a house, and really reevaluate them in the context of like the current reality of like being, you can be mobile without a house. Um, your job is not guaranteed. Like business cycles seem to be moving faster. And it really, it reminds me kind of of, um, you ever listened to any of the Naval Ravikant no. Q A's on Tim Ferriss? I don't know exactly who he is other than he's very intelligent. This is Ramit, you said, or who? No, Naval Ravikant oh. Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan. Okay, so I have not, so, but I know who you're talking about. Okay, definitely worth a listen. But one of the things he talks about is that in the, you know, in the hopeful future, as opposed to the, you know, what I don't know what you call it, the pessimistic future, all of these, um, how should I put it? We have so much technology that's just going to, it will literally just eat jobs which either means that everybody's dying and starving out of work, or it means that it becomes a creative economy and your one job is to be the very best version of yourself and to offer what it is, what's uniquely you to the world because everything Ooh. else will be able to be copied by a computer, but computers are so far behind. It can never duplicate basically your essence. So he talks about like, if you That's want cool. to really give kids a great education, teach them how to be creative and teach them self-confidence because computers are going to do math and computers are going to run those like schools and computers will run stores. If you want real job security, learn how to be creative and learn how to be yourself. That's interesting. I love that perspective of maybe technology takes the place of all the jobs that's just interesting like what if jobs don't even become like a thing like i don't know i'm thinking about yeah like there's like no need for labor yeah labor that's what i'm thinking of like those labor labor intensive jobs don't become a thing anymore and just like we reimagine the way of like what work really means exactly so hmm. i don't know i think that's really cool but i think that this shock of 2008 2009 in some way was like a prescient moment because this generation had to really rethink the way that they approach work so i know a lot of people who maybe didn't go to college they're like well i have to be an entrepreneur because being in charge of my own life is actually the only way that i know that i'll be safe mm -hmm. and now it's more and just more and more and more and more and more people and you mentioned earlier something about people being addicted to anxiety. Was that a social media thing or like they're addicted to like kind of the hurt or what did you mean by that? They're addicted to anxiety. Okay. So 
I'm taking this really cool class from mm -hmm. being true to you. It's a specific coaching program for addiction. Um, I'm entering into it because I, I definitely am a codependent. So, which is a different type of addiction. It's just this, it's a flip side of the same coin. Like, um, and we can go into that. But so I've been thinking about, a, you know, um, addictive behavior and that's not related, but I just was talking about it. So there's actually evidence that we, our bodies become reliant on the drugs that we get from our own brain, from being anxious. It's like an upper. So without that cortisol, we feel weird in our own body or we feel tired. So even if we don't, mm have even if we have everything we wanted we will create drama or imaginary problems or we will use quote-unquote real problems to create that feeling of anxiety so that we can get that hit of the cortisol that makes us feel a little bit high a little bit more energetic wow i love that that i can see that being a thing and for me what i've done in my life that i've started to realize is I create problems so I can fix them. So it's not like a stress. It feels good to fix. It feels good to fix. It feels good to achieve. And so I'll just look for problems, right? Instead of, and I don't think that's, you know, in some cases that can be really good, but <clears throat> like I will create or look for things to fix or to solve instead of just like enjoy. Hmm. So that's interesting also. Um, I like that perspective. Somebody once told me, and it's stuck with me for a long time, that it's like your brain is a pattern-making machine. Thank God. Because you don't want to have to look at a tree and like count how many leaves it has <laughs> and stalks and like figure yeah. out if it's bamboo or a tree, right? It's like, oh, boom, tree. <laughs> um, and what it does is it files away things and it's a way of like filing away things that are the same and looking for things that are different so as a survival tactic right like don't eat that one weird fruit mm -hmm. that little area looks sketchy and different than all the others that person looks like they may make fucked up babies so I'm you know <laughs> like whatever it is like we have uh -huh. this sense and it's just our brain looking for the anomaly because anomalies aren't always safe um and i if, when i remember that that's my brain's job to do that to keep me alive it's easier for me to say oh, this is your job thanks for the information um and but also I know that you're filing away like 7 million other data points of everything is okay, but I just don't see it because it's oh, trees. Okay. The sky's okay. There's no rain. Uh. My house isn't falling down. There's so many, I have a teacher and I talk about this. So I'm sorry if anybody's heard me talk before about um, like perfection is invisible. So it's our tendency to notice the thing that can be fixed and not to notice everything that's going right at the same time. And the one thing that's wrong compared to the 
millions of perfect synchronicities in that moment that have to happen for that one wrong thing even to exist, we ignore. So it's like a way for me to say, okay, like this could be a little bit better, but in the grand scheme of things, it's such a tiny blip. I'm a perfectionist. So I work a lot on like not getting obsessive about the problems and um, like, can it be better? Because for me, remembering that it's perfect and it is as it should be, that's a lot. That, that's my challenge. Yeah, that's cool like, though. Just to rest and let it be. Yeah, like, yeah. And again, it goes back into relying on our neighbors. That's just another survival thing of our brain, like the subconscious, we live 95%, right, of our time in subconscious thoughts because if it did, we'd go, if we were not, like just filing away subconsciously we would go insane right like that tree is no longer a tree it's like what the hell is this thing you know and so it's it's a blessing you know like it makes sense like our brains need to do that however like our it's designed to keep us alive because to look for anomalies back in the day is literally like survival like you don't want to die however we're so comfortable now like we don't have to worry about that and so we naturally will look for things that are wrong of like for me, you know, growing this brand of, Oh my gosh, I lost one follower. Literally I have gotten like, <laughs> not like over and over. And like, even in my mind, I know it's ridiculous. And like, you know, I coach myself. It's like, cause I'm looking for what's wrong instead of this morning. I will. Okay. Like look for what's right. Like, but it's even, still, it's- yeah, like even a month ago, or like in May, I think I had, you know, like, I think it was 438 followers. Now I have over 2000. Right. And so if you compare it to like, what was your life a year ago? Like a year ago is technically a blip too. So that's one thing that I've helped me of just like, okay, not just yesterday, but like, what did my life look like a year ago? And then it helps me put it in perspective of like, wow, things are really improving and growing and changing for the better and I've learned a ton yeah it's that's um so I have a friend who's taking an NLP course which is like anchoring a different truth yeah so it's neuro what does that mean so neuro neuro linguistic programming how the words we use to describe it's almost a little I don't know anything about it I have a book about NLP. It was printed in 1983 and it's been on my bookshelf for six years. (laughs) So that's mine. But um, I had a, it's interesting that you say that because I had like part of my work today is, was yesterday getting hugely anxious um, about money. And I have a money story that I am not able to support myself and that, you know, going back to giving everything away, we were talking about, we can come back to it. But, um, someone asked me how I was doing and I have, you know, some income right now that won't be there in a year and a half. And I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. excuse my French. Yeah, you can okay. delete that out. But no, I was like, Oh my God, yeah. I am going to die. Here it is. It's going to end and I can't support myself. And mm. uh, that's the end. And, and I felt almost like in my body, it felt as if the worst case scenario, which is, me like living in a one bedroom studio south of the city eating ramen with my daughter. It felt so real like it was happening right this second and I was mm. full of shame. Um, 
And my friend said, Claire, look where you were six months ago. Look how much you've achieved in that tiny short period of time in terms of self-growth and self-awareness and skill sets. There's no possible way that that's how it's going to end up if you look at the evidence. So just that idea of, you know, being conscious of the story that we tell ourselves. And it like, remind me of what you did for you. I like yeah. that. Like, be conscious of the evidence. I like that. I think that's a cool little thing of, like, really, like, if we dig into it, there's rarely evidence of what you're thinking is going to happen. Like, if you break it down, it's actually quite absurd. Well, now I'll toot my own personal Instagram horn. This was something that came out of a call the other day is that it's, so this would be like a, a practice that you can do. It's um, based on the idea that we don't want things. We want the way that things make us feel. Very I don't true. know if you're familiar with it, right? Yes. So when you get nervous or you compare yourself or you feel lacking and you think about the thing you want, maybe it's like a rock and bod or maybe it's a Tesla or maybe it's a hot girlfriend. Um, maybe it's like a vacation house in Cabo, whatever it is. How does it make you feel to have that thing? And um, like, what's that truth? And then what, what would be evidence based on that feeling? What would be evidence that you already have everything that you thought you wanted? So if I think that a vacation house in Mexico is evidence that I'm successful and that if I'm successful, I feel safe and loved in the world. What's evidence? Like what are five things I can think about that prove to me that I already am safe and loved in the world? Those wow. actually I can pull out of my butt pretty easily. Like I am I totally safe. I'm totally loved. And there's a buttload of evidence that I don't need a house in Cabo to get it. And I'm probably the likelihood that I'm going to be able to figure out my career in order to get that house in Cabo when I'm stressed out and feeling like mm -hmm. I'm not loved and I'm not safe. Oh, yes. It's less likely than so if I say true. I'm yeah it's like if i want that house in cabo it will come to me because i am this way already like i'm loved and i'm safe so i can do whatever i want oh this is the biggest thing like i'm so pumped on this right now like what's evidence that you already have what you thought you yeah. wanted yeah i think that's man i love that practice of because it's not the things right it's it's the feeling that we're looking for like getting that house in cabo will make us feel safe or successful we can just be there and relax and no worries in the world. But I like saying, okay, that makes me feel, or I think it will make me feel this way. What are five things that I already feel that currently? Like, I love that practice. And then because what you said, and I know this from personal experience, is it's not if or when, right? Like, I will feel secure when I get that house. It's I feel, I feel, I feel secure now. and by feeling successful or loved secure now you're going to attract that because it's like and you're in a space to create that and that's totally because like if you're in a place of fear of money not working out or having to move you're not thinking about Cabo you're thinking about ramen noodles in a studio apartment 
I'm trapped on like the level two of Maslow. So scared of everything mm-hmm. that I can't like actually be productive. Yeah, really. Like I think that's such a huge thing for everyone, you know, that I still have to practice of like act like be the person who you want to be. And that sounds so simple and just you could breeze over that. But like, who do you want to be? Be that person. Like who makes you happy? Yeah. It's super, it's super annoying. (laughs) Yeah. It's so frustrating sometimes. Yeah. It's It's like once you, once you figure that out, you're like, Oh, okay. How, how? (laughs) Yeah. And okay. That's fascinating. All right. So let's jump into how you started on this path. So where were you a year or so ago? Like what? spiritual path yeah or just spiritualish the last so what was the trauma in your life that like sparked your path of enlightenment and in search of growth I think for me it was I was always in these codependent relationships and I was always trying to fix people so what does um, that mean can you so codependent what what does does it do codependent codependent is the idea I wanted to not work on myself and to be okay with being imperfect um, and then being with somebody who would fill in my own gaps. So it was like, well, I suck at money and you suck at remembering things and I'm not good at cleaning the house and you're not good at X, Y, Z. So I'll just do the things you're not good at and you do the things that I'm not good at and we'll be okay because it's too scary for me to admit that I'm imperfect and or like work on myself. Like I just, I'm just bad at these things. So I, and I don't want to take responsibility for myself. So I'm going to find somebody who can fix it for me. And in return, I will fix them. So what happens is that you become enmeshed because it's too scary to leave them because without them, you're not a fully functioning human being. And also it feels really good to, help somebody else with their problems and to focus on other people's problems and say, well, I just don't have time to work on my problems because your problems are so big. Mm. It was like a distraction. And that's what I think of at least for me was codependency. Um, And the idea there is that like I engage myself in relationships where I am volunteering to be dependent on that person. And that person is volunteering to be dependent on me for skills that we each need to develop. And it, becomes a, most times like it's not just addiction but it becomes like a really combative relationship because if somebody isn't taking care of the shit that you're not taking care of the way that you think they should you become angry or it's like when you give up your power to somebody and you say well you pick the restaurant and then they pick a restaurant that you hate <laughs> whose fault is that it's your fault Because you said, pick whatever restaurant you want. I don't care. And you didn't take responsibility for your shit. So that's why I think it was codependency. That makes sense. Um, I had just started dating my husband, my future husband. And I found out, I hadn't been with this person for two years. But I found out, it was a dramatic, very codependent relationship. Um, I found out that he died alone in his apartment at the age of 42. And I realized, I was like, oh. I kind of thought that I like liked a certain entrepreneurial type of person, but I just like addicts. 
I'm going to be honest. Like I was codependent and like people who were addicts. Um, and I don't know if he died from his addiction, but he had a lot of health problems. Um, and it's, it's very sad, but it's not, a, it's like not a surprise to me that happens without like, judging whatever he was going through. Was right? it, you mean like a drug addiction or what? No, he's an alcoholic. Okay. And would go back and forth. You know, he'd be mm-hmm. sober, super healthy, and then in rehab. Um, so that was the first crack in the door of like, this is not cool, Claire. But it was too late. I already was falling in love with my husband and we got pregnant and blah, blah, blah. And then I started to see a spiritual coach in California. Um, and I just, I still wasn't really ready to hear this idea that I'm in charge of my own life, which sounds ridiculous. But I was just so used to like saying, well, if I take care of other people, I'm responsible for other people's feelings. And I can't be responsible for my own because it's too scary. So if I just take care of other people, somebody will eventually take care of me. That was kind of the thought process. Claire, like, you know, like I know there's, like it does, I'll be honest, it sounds silly to me, but I know there's other people that hear that, that they're afraid of taking ownership and having that power. Well, yeah, and I think that, um, I think that there's things that we pick up on when we're little kids that are not true, but that become a defining part of our life. So um, I think part of my codependency was with, you know, with respect to my parents, we had a difficult time when I was really young. And I um, think that I, as the oldest, thought that I could like cure stress in the family and I could cure, you know, my dad was a student with three small children, like writing his dissertation. And I thought that if I just didn't have any needs, everything would be okay. And that also translates into this idea that like having needs is dangerous so Mm. if you're a full person you have needs you have boundaries right but i think i internalized um it was like that was like my four-year-old five-year-old six-year-old solution that kept that i hooked up that i carried with me so it sounds ridiculous but that was like a survival mechanism to feel safe when i was little so now as an adult that shit doesn't work but I had to really untangle it. So not being responsible is another way of being invisible. And it's like, if I worry about the family, not myself, hopefully my parents will take care of me because I'm making sure that everybody's calm. That's like, you know, that's like a lot of where all these weird things that we do is like as a little kid, we think we can control the world. Um, So I think for me, it was, yeah if I help other people they'll help me and it's a child parent relationship not like a fully grown adult relationship yeah that's crazy I think you just helped reveal something about my childhood too that I for sure tried to be that person with my mom like because she my parents were divorced when I was like around four or five and she had five kids you know 16 years and younger that you know she was primarily responsible for and so I think in my head, it was definitely life's already hard enough for her. And I'm going to try and make it easier. Like I want to obey. And I think that's where like the pleasing 
comes in. Cause mm-hmm. I never like said like, I want this. Like I was like, Oh, whatever you want, you know? So that's interesting. I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. Yes. That's, if I, I can I just make you that. feel good. Yeah. Well, but like, that's like that little kid where to be safe in the world, you needed your mom to feel happy. So you would kind yes. of consciously or unconsciously do like when we're children, we rely on our parents. And I think um even probably my parents did do this. My dad's a freaking psychology, but psychologist. But um, you know, with my own child, uh, it's it's like grown up feelings are scary because without grown ups, kids die. So just being conscious of her saying like, "I'm having a bad day, but you're safe," or um, "I'm mad at you, but you're safe." You know, like we're allowed to have feelings, and you'll still be safe. And if I feel sad or if I feel mad, it's not going to like, there's nothing about like our life that's in danger because I think that, um, I know that sounds weird, but kids no, don't like know it. this and grown up emotions are so big that they can feel really overwhelming and scary to kids who most kids are pretty sensitive. They're still, they're just little even mm-hmm. compared to us. So you don't have the wherewithal of a grown up to be aware of how your own emotional tone impacts your kid. And they're also, then, then it's like a setup period. Like I always say, unfortunately, I'm probably gonna fuck up my kid. I'm just gonna ask for forgiveness next time. There's <laughs> things I don't know. But like one of those things that I do know is like how sensitive I was and how scary it felt. Um, just to even like the thought of my parents I don't think they ever got mad but I was scared that they were sad and I was scared when they fought with each other they split up for a year when I was in second grade maybe third grade um and like also little kids as children we think we're the center of the universe still it takes a while to realize Mm -hmm. that you don't cause everything so um even though my parents were really good about saying like it's not your fault kids like we're going through a hard time I still thought that I had the solution, which was to make everybody happy. And if I could just make sure to make every hap- everybody happy, then the family would be okay. Yep, that makes sense. All right, now we got to get back. To- <laughs> that was good. I, no, I like topic. I like that. I like that t- tangent. That was I learned something about myself. What? Um, so we're saying codependent relationships. Oh yeah, how do I win? So um, basically, I was a flaming codependent. It got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. I had a couple spiritual inklings. Um, I got divorced. I like, I, the marriage was really hard the whole time. And um, we moved from Los Angeles to Phoenix for my husband's work. And a year later, he asked for a divorce. Thank God, because it was really unhappy. But I, somebody teased me, like, I can tell you're from New England because you just suffer as if that's like what's supposed to happen. Because only New Englanders say, well, I guess this is my life now. Mm-hmm. Like everybody else I know is like, oh, I can, I'll just quit. He's like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> so that's yeah. where I was. I was like, well, I guess this is my life now. Um, and thank God I married somebody who knows when to say no or enough is enough because we were really unhappy. And then I spent, I don't know, six months a year completely freaking out. Um, and it took me that long though to realize like that I have, like I'm responsible for my life. 
that I have to address things myself and be a whole person and that I can't just rely on being it's like I can't just pour out all my resources and hope that somebody's going to pick up the slack where I'm not willing to do the work so they'll just be resentful and angry when that doesn't happen it's like up to me to pour my resources into myself where I um need help yeah that's really important and it seems like you've you've done a ton of work and like internally which i admire and you know but since i have been doing more work over the past year-ish or whatever it's kind of funny that it's made my life harder in a way because (laughs) and i haven't really discussed this but i'd love your thoughts on it's made my life harder i still wouldn't change it like this is what i want because I think it's the ignorance is bliss. Like if you just don't address it, if you ignore it, but for me, that isn't like, I'm not, I don't want to live that kind of life. Like I don't want to like settle for that or kind of like what you said, like, because you're a new Englander, like, Oh, this is just my life. Like it might be harder in the moment, but that's like truly like, that's what fulfillment is about. So what's your experience with like, as like searching and unpeeling those layers and levels of your soul is painful, like physically painful, not just spiritually, emotionally. Um, but why is it worth it to you? So I've had the privilege to work with this real, if you can check her out, her name's Beat Simkin. She's on podcasts mm-hmm. um, on Instagram. And she once said to me that it does get worse before it gets better because when you have not been looking at yourself for a long time and you start to really look at yourself, you see a bunch of heinous shit. Kind of like, I always think of it as like cockroaches under the sink. Mm-hmm. There's two ways to handle that problem. Quote unquote. One is you open underneath the sink and you clean it all out and you take care of it. Two, which is what most of us do. So we see a little cockroach crawl out and we're like, Oh shit. And we just like lock, the cabinet we're like well there's cockroaches in there we're not going to do that and i'll be fine and there comes a point when you realize i have an infestation in my house and you go back to the sink and that first moment when you open the cabinet it's horrible it's horrifying Hmm. um uh this speaks to me because i had oh i had a roof rat eat through my roof a roof rat. And yeah, so we have these. I live in a sounds place. Like a in, rat. In sounds Arizona. like a rat. Sounds like a rat. Yeah, it's roof rat. Roof rats. <laughs> uh, well, so there's all these citrus trees in this in the area that I live. So mm-hmm. the rats, like, they just get crazy, and they will actually mm-hmm. like they ate a hole in my roof to get into my house. That's so crazy. in like February, I heard like a, like one time I heard some scratching sounds, like, and by April May. I had, I was being terrorized by these two rats in my kitchen out here that night. They were knocking things over. They were eating my food. I had to call the exterminator. Um, But it reminds me in a funny way of this soul work where sometimes we hear that little scritchy scratching of like something's not right. Mm. But we almost sometimes don't even believe it. Like, I don't know. That doesn't feel good, but not like the world doesn't always feel good. So I'm going to ignore it. And then you're 
almost 40 years old and you're totally out of alignment with your truth. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, and it's like truth, at least in my experience, isn't really loud. Mm-hmm. It's this, it's kind of quiet. And we have a lot of sh- like, we should have you heard the phrase we should all over yourself. Like <laughs> should it, like the things you should do, the shoulds are loud, but the truth inside of us is often a lot quieter. And um, sometimes we have to like get rats or have a cockroach infestation or should all over ourselves for long enough that we realize we're tripling down on things that just blow up on us. And that's the moment when you have to do that work and really look at yourself. But that's also the moment when you realize that you've got like a big fucking problem. Yeah, that's cool. So definitely worth it. I agree. And it's worth it to do the soul work. Let's pivot to um, I Am Water because that is your venture and that is, I, I love this idea. So before you tell us, well, no, tell us what it is first and then I'll ask my next question. So it's basically challenging me to be concise. <laughs> no, uh-huh. it's, um, it's, a, it's a vehicle for a pattern disruption practice on like on a very fundamental level and I can actually go get a bottle I think I have one here but um so we get stuck in these loops of behavior or of even just thinking um that don't serve us and what I really and this the bottle is um like a strategy to disrupt that and I can go into that more, but um, back to our conversation a little bit ago, it's like, how do you want to be in the world? What's, what, what do you need to believe about yourself to show up that way? So the water bottle um, has, I, I don't know if it's gonna be reversed. So it has all these words on the front. Looks, looks good. Right, and the words, they don't, you don't have to pick one of these, but the idea is um, that it makes it easier to choose. And then on the side, we have this, I am blank, to write it down. Um, and then the idea is that drinking, so you know, drinking is a choice that you make even though you have to do it each day. So as you drink, it is like an anchor or a trigger to remember the way that you want to show up. Um, should I keep going? No, yeah, it's like to me, yeah, good? It, it's intention water. And I love that. Yeah, it's, it's like setting your intention. Yeah, setting an intention. Um, and it's just, I think it's a great reminder of, you know, if you have that water bottle every time you drink water, it's, you know, I am loved or I am enough, I am grateful, I am powerful, you know, whatever it may be. It's just a reminder every single time, you know, to disrupt those patterns that, that you just mentioned. And it's such a simple idea. And I think I love the name. I am water because it's like, I am, it's not saying like I am water, even though we could probably get into that too. But where did the, where did the idea come from? Like, how did you think of this idea? I didn't actually, my business partner did, Mm -hmm. or she saw it it's there's a practice where people do this and they write it you know you can get it you don't need my water bottle you can use a sharpie 
and your own bottle of water or your own drink. Um, so she did a Facebook Live post about a year, a year and a half ago. And she, I don't know where she found out about it, but she wrote in Sharpie on her water bottle. And then she had people taking pictures of their water bottles with their statements on the side. Um, she said, hey, Claire, you want to do this as a business? And I just in my mind's eye said, oh, my God, I, you know, I could see this on this every single seat at the beginning of like a Tony Robbins conference where he's uh -huh. like, you know what? Take one minute right now. Decide how you're going to show up for this week and get in that space. And then, you know, like when you leave, we always leave. Whether, whether it's an incredible weekend where we like have personal growth or um, even just an hour with your therapist, there's like diminishing returns when we're out of that environment, when we're not with that person, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to stay in the zone. And this is that way to say like, like take this with you, extend that practice. So we thought that it would also be helpful for coaches who want to give people a way to um, continue the practice and beyond just their session. So that's the start of it. Yeah, that's um, cool. I think it's cool. And it's just reinventing water, but in a, such a positive yeah. way, you know? Well, and then the thing that I, was super important to me is that, you know, having been, I went through this divorce. I'm not broke. I had like a career counselor that I got through my, my, um, with some religious services I had a lot of friends and there were still times where I just felt like oh oh gosh for this I had all this advice and resources I was like I I have to like figure out what to give my toddler for lunch and also shower today and it felt like that was enough so if I as somebody who's pretty freaking privileged and safe was so um, out of it because of whatever trauma I was experiencing. Like, what about people with major depression or PTSD or who have no backup? Um, like, so I really dove into this because I believe it's a practice that is universally accessible. Mm -hmm. like, if you're not drinking water, you're dead. But water, unlike breath, is not an automatic thing. So, um, when we developed this bottle, it was the idea that it's just, it's as easy as possible and you can do it. So like, I like what do that. you, what do you need to believe? And that's also like, what we, if somebody doesn't know what to say, we say like, close your eyes and that, and the first word that you see, try that on, see if it resonates and changes the way that you show up. I like that. Cause it really does break it down. Like anyone can do this. Everyone drinks water, but it's still a decision. You have to say, okay, I'm thirsty. I'm going to drink. And yeah, I like that they could be at a cool, amazing Tony Robbins, you know, event, or you don't even need your water bottle. It's just, I'm going to write this on my bottle because I want to, you know, I want to step into this more. Yeah. That's yeah. super cool. So like we have stickers, you can do tape and the water for me anyways, um, the idea of quote unquote commercial success for the water is really just the success of sharing this practice and having enough people know about it and believe in it in a really fundamental way. So that's also 
we can talk about like the memory of water and Dr. Emoto and how your body is 50 to 70% water and you can rearrange, you know, you can arrange your molecular structure in an intentional way by drinking water that you put intentions to. And that's really woo. <laughs> but I think everybody understands the idea that you have to make a choice when you drink water and you have an opportunity to not be on autopilot, not be living mechanically, and to make a choice about how you want to be in the world. I love that. Um, well, what I do in, in the show, I have a section that's called Scroll My Soul. And what that means is I keep a huge running list of notes in my phone or just in my notes. And it's just anything that I get inspired from conversations, podcasts, books, etc. And then I go randomly scroll through the note and I say one of the phrases that I wrote down and I ask what it reminds you of or how it resonates with you. Does that make sense? It sounds fun. It's like, um, sounds fun. I can't, no, I can't, I can't. It's a little bit like your own custom tarot deck or, um, what are those medicine cards? Right? I like that. Yeah. So let me find this note. I don't know where it freaking went. Now that while you look is... for the note, can I talk about plastic? Oh yes, please. Just do. for all the plastic haters. Yeah. So yeah, your bottle is plastic. So yeah. So so people who are concerned about the waste of plastic. Yeah, I would say the people who are concerned about the waste of plastic wait until we have a budget to make recyclable bottles. To like make like expensive fancy bottles. But again, going, there's two parts to it. One is that we really do want this to be an accessible practice and um, fancy water bottles aren't always a possibility for populations that we would hope to help. Um, two is that we would like for people to have an attachment to this bottle because they put a little piece of them. And if we can take people who would normally drink like five bottles of water and have them maybe refill this four times. That's four plastic bottles that aren't being used. Um, so I, I think that like shaming people out of using plastic bottles is rarely successful, but inspiring them to use their one plastic bottle a couple more times actually has a pretty big impact. And that's the idea that we don't all need to be perfect everybody just needs to be a little bit better and that's going to make a really big impact. I like that a lot. Like, yeah, hopefully because this bottle has so much meaning and impact that you do reuse it a little bit. And then the last one is, is this gets complicated, but um, this particular type of plastic is universally recyclable. There are a lot of really incredible recyclable, you know, like box waters that many municipalities can't actually recycle and just go to the landfill because the recycling of the content is more complicated and requires, you know, centrifuges to pull out the paper and the plastic. Um, so even though plastic's not good, it is a, it is a product where it, if people recycle it, there are the recycling facilities available to actually manage that type of waste. Yeah, I like it. So I think that's, I think I like how you address it instead of just avoiding it. You just talk about it. Took us a while to get here. <laughs> no, and like, that's the thing. You'll continue to evolve. Just like what you said of, you know, developing other bottles. So 
does that look like like metal bottles or something or what is that um you know i don't know exactly at this point in time we may have a partnership coming up where we co-brand the bottles for retreats i like that with us with a with a company um I would love to be able to do co-branding of the actual plastic bottles, but it costs about, you know, two or three, $3,000 for the minimum run of labels, at least the way we're doing it now. Mm-hmm. So that's not a money-making, like that's not a business mm-hmm. if, to, to partner with. Like you have to have a really big event of like 10,000 people for that to really make sense to go in that way. Um, so yeah, I think, and the, the same with glass. Glass is a complicated thing, but um, I actually don't know the answer to your question, I'm realizing. That is We're going to okay. see what sticks, you know? <laughs> Throw it out there, see what sticks. I know that the practice is helpful for me, and I also know that personally, it's, I see a huge gap in helping people, with, which is the space of... Um, Like just when you're really in the swamp, what's like the next two steps? We have a lot of programs and a lot of people that want to help you like achieve your best and like level up and 10x your business and all of these really wonderful things. There's not a lot of things like, hey, you're 420 pounds. Here's just drink 10 ounces of water a day for a month and see what that does for you. Or, you know, like drink 80 ounces, drink enough water see how that like goes for you because if I give you a meal plan and an exercise plan and a sleeping regimen a and a stretching regimen you need to give up and it also give like all of those plans like tripled down on our feelings of worthlessness because it's like I can't do this I really am a piece of shit yeah again it goes so back. what's that like invitation what's that one little thing you could do Mm-hmm. Just keeping the promise to yourself, kind of what you said at the very, very beginning. At the very beginning, exactly. What's a promise that you know you can keep? So, like, whenever I go on a health kick, I start with water. Can I drink 80 ounces a day? I can, but like, I have to start there. All right, cool. So, scroll my soul. I have found, I've landed randomly on something that I'm going to read, and I want to hear your thoughts. Cool. I love this, Ben. This is so great. Thank <laughs> cool. you. This is really cool. You freaking know it. So it says, the hurt might not be your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. So the hurt might not be your fault. The healing is your responsibility. You can agree, disagree, somewhere in between, whatever, whatever that sparks. I think there's two sides. What comes to mind is there's really two sides to that I agree and disagree you know there are exceptions but like when especially when it comes to emotional things when we think that other people hurt us it's often an indication that we have either triggers or not been um, true to ourselves so Mm. I as an over giver and emotional what's the word you were talking about somebody likes to make everybody happy Mm -hmm. I'll overextend myself and then I will feel hurt because I'm not recognized for my contribution or because it's not reciprocated. That is my fault. Actually, that's very much my fault. 
And it's also my responsibility to stop that behavior. Yeah. On the other side, um, you know, like it's like accident. If you get in an accident, then something someone drove into you, or if you're abused by a person when you're little, or these really traumatic things, that's an example of oftentimes we will take try to take responsibility so that we feel in control and like it won't happen again. Like if you're, and I have not been molested, and if anybody has, and this is untrue for them, I apologize, but I know that a large number of people feel responsible, like it's their fault, mm -hmm. that they attracted a predator, that they, you know, it's like the rape, the person who's raped taking blame for being raped. Um, and I think part of that is a natural reaction because we want to think that we're in control and not that it was a random accident. So I think in those cases, it's really important to remember that it isn't your fault, but that, you know, being responsible for yourself afterwards and not being a victim is. Wow, that was really well said, because <clears throat> I think, yeah, I won't add anything to that. Boom. Well, sweet. Well, Claire, you <laughs> This have... will be like a million hour long podcast. Thanks. No, not million hour. If we'll get there one day. We'll, we'll do the million hour, <laughs> a million episodes later. Um, no, like this is, this is what it's all about. Like, I appreciate you being open, going into your growth and your work and, you know, touching on your business and your idea. And, you know, I know for sure that people are going to get something that, from this. Like, this is wide ranging. And I think the most important thing for me that is sticking out currently without listening back to it is, like, the, the traumas are an opportunity as much as they suck. Like, they're a vehicle and a spark to just create something more amazing with your life. And, again, I know it sucks. <laughs> But I truly believe that and I'm, I'm with you that something it's you're losing something to get something greater is coming. It's making space for something much more beneficial to your life. Yeah. So do we have time for me to share something? Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. What is left in your heart, soul or mind? So there's this really cool online quote unquote game that I'm going to listen to after it's called play Akasha. Mm -hmm. It's a little weird but it's these guided meditations um, based on this understanding of the world called gene keys, which is like human design and astrology and there's gene keys. And it may just be lumping it in, in like a really rude way without much understanding, but I think it's close enough with your will. One of the meditations that was hugely impactful for me was this idea of looking at um, challenges and suffering as opportunities, not for growth, but for creativity. Hmm. I really resonate as like a creative person. So when I started saying like, okay, this is hard, but when it's hard, you get to be creative. You yeah. get to like pull that part of your soul out. So like look at it as this chance to say like, Oh, I'm a creative person. What can I make? Not what do I have to achieve and do I who do I who do I have to be to muscle mm -hmm. through this? Like that doesn't resonate with me, but like the idea that like a challenge is like, ah, I can get crafty. I can use my intellect to be creative. I can like use like, can I turn this challenge into an artistic experience of my life? 
I love that. And I think that that's what you just reminded me of in your wrap up is maybe challenges aren't even there for us to grow like our muscles or like grow our willpower, grow our ability to suffer. I think sometimes I think of challenges that like, oh, well now I'm just better at suffering. <laughs> Not the point. Never heard that. But can I like get better at like being super creative to turn anything that seems painful into a moment of like bliss or beauty or growth? That's cool. That's a real opportunity. And that's like making change. I don't know. That's for me like the soul work. No, I love that. I think, and that's something new for the, this audience to hear instead of just embrace the challenge, like level up. Like that's a cool thing. And I appreciate that is like use it as, you know, creative expression. Okay. Well, Claire, you're the bomb. Thank you for this convo. Anything else before we end? No, I'm just so glad we get to have this wide ranging talk. This has been, I think it might even be at a seven now. That's how I was going to ask. Okay. <laughs> you beat me to the punch. So what would you say? You're at a 6.5. We'll round up to a seven. No, maybe even in a seven and a half, because I just <laughs> through this hour long conversation reminded, like now I get, I was, I, I've been feeling really challenged and now I get to remember that I get to be creative and well, I know that I have those tools inside me and that it's fun. Like creating can be really fun and really beautiful. Awesome. So it's like, I'm going to go make a song and paint a picture. It's just going to be my life instead of <laughs> down on paper or on iTunes. Okay, Claire. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. And I appreciate it. Ben, thank you. So fun. <laughs> you know it. Adios. Adios. All righty, Grill Junkies. I hope you loved that interview with Claire, that conversation. And if you did, make sure you go follow her. Um, the link is in the description to follow her and to follow the company I Am Water. And if you love this conversation, make sure you go leave a review on iTunes. It really does help us out, get seen, get noticed, and we love your feedback. So give a shout out to Claire or any other episode, any other feedback. I'd love to hear from you. And remember, we have a retreat coming up in March, March 5th through 8th on the beach in San Diego on a beach house. We are delving into these types of conversations. So just one thing that I'll say what we're going to do is what Claire talked about, about the negative patterns our brain makes. How do we break those? How do we notice what those negative things are and what are the tactics and the things that we can do to kind of reverse that or to battle that and have more positive self-talk? So that's one thing we're going to be doing is talking about negative beliefs, delving into our intuition and how to go into that and how to be a human being and not just a human doing. So that is some of the work of the growth and the healing that we're doing in March. And we have a couple spots left. So please message me as soon as possible if you'd love to go because we have an amazing group of teachers, a team, man, such amazing people and amazing attendees, the community, the vulnerability, the growth, the connection is going to be unreal. And I'd love to have you. So please message me as soon as possible. And this week's challenge is inspired by Claire and her company, I Am Water. So each time you take a drink, of water preferably or any beverage say one positive self affirmation so it could be i am enough i am powerful i am loving i am worthy of all that is coming my way i am already successful i am the light 
those are just some examples of what you can say. Like, I would love to hear about your positive affirmations. So make sure you tell me and Claire. So use the time that you take a sip of a beverage to remind yourself what you are and who you are becoming. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. Who you? Who are you becoming? Who do you want to be? And just be that person now. So take a Sharpie and write it on your bottle. So each time you take a swig, you can see that positive affirmation. The more you see it, the more you feel it, and the more you'll become it. So please use this time, take a drink, get your fluids, and then use that positive affirmation to become more, to be that person you want to be. And remember, my friends, if it's anyone, it's you. If it's any time, it's right now. I love you. You're worth it. Seriously, write those affirmations and truly feel it. Truly, truly feel it because you are. You are worthy. You're already successful. You are the light. You're worth of all the things coming your way. Man, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. Thank you for spending an hour plus each with me this week or every week. It means the world to me that just one person would listen to these conversations and what we have to say. So truly, truly, it means the world. And let me and Claire know. We'd love to see your stories or social media messages, whatever you want to do. Tag me and Claire. I'm at Golink Group. And then you can see and follow Claire in the description. Have an amazing week. Love you all.